Well, I am grateful. One of the things I'm grateful for at Mount Hope is uh, doing ministry as a team, and I'm grateful for our team of communicators of God's Word. We've got a great team that meets together every Tuesday uh, to talk about God's Word and how to communicate it well. One of the members of that team is Justin Joseph, who is usually over on our Belmont location, but this morning is over here to deliver God's word to us. Justin and Alyn, if you don't know them very well, because they are usually over at Belmont, uh, they uh, live in North Reading, have two kids, Ethan and Noah. And Justin, you may, uh, some of you may know because he's one of the people that leads our base camp class as well. And he's a wonderful communicator of the Word of God, and he's coming to bring God's Word to us today from Genesis chapter 16. If you want to open up your Bible there, would you welcome Justin this morning as he comes? Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's so good to see you this morning. It's so great to be in Burlington this morning. Second place in junior Bible quiz, but first place in my heart, so... Great way to start this day, right? I am so grateful to be here with you all this morning. Uh, as Pastor Rick said, my name is Justin. My wife, Elin, and I, we spent the first seven, eight years of our marriage sitting in that second row and growing and being transformed by God's word from this campus. So, so grateful for all of you and for your continued prayers and what God's doing at Belmont as well as here in Burlington and homes all across this region as well. As Pastor Rick said, if you have your Bibles this morning, if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 16, that's where we'll be in just a minute. But I want to start this morning by asking you a simple question as it relates to how you like to work. Now, when I look at it, I feel like there's two types of people, people who prefer to work in groups and people who prefer to work alone. Let me ask you this question. Show of hands, how many of you prefer to work in a group, to work on a team. How many of you do that? Yeah, there's a bunch of hands going up now. How many of you prefer to work alone, individually? Way more hands just went up right now. Right, I trust myself way more than that other person. In addition to my role here at the church, I also serve as a teacher at Boston University, and one of the things I do regularly is assign group work to my students. And on presentation day, my students will come up with five, six students dressed perfectly, and they will deliver this incredible presentation using great slides and great vocal authority, and they will present these amazing presentations. A couple of years ago, I instituted a new little practice with my group projects. I had each student evaluate himself or herself and evaluate the other members of the team as well. Now, these are kept strictly confidential, and I, I assure them that it will remain anonymous until today. I'm going to read you. I'm going to read you some of the comments that students have shared about their teammates. Now, remember again, what I see as a teacher is the perfect presentation. But through these evaluations, I get a look behind the scenes. And this morning, I want to read some of the comments that students have shared. Quote, my cat did just as much work on this project as Emily did. <laughs> Here's another one. He's a classic over-promiser and under-deliverer. During our first meeting eight weeks ago, he said he would do the research and write the first section of the paper. I'm still waiting. Quote, I've never met someone who could sprout a different illness to coincide with each of our team meetings. 
I'm not sure if he's a real person or a ghost. <laughs> Either way, he did no work on this project. Now, I get comments like that all the time, but do you know what the most common comment I get is this one? Quote, I did 99% of the work. Now, my favorite is when three people on the same team say, I did 99% of the work. Now, when I ask these students what took place behind the scenes, here's what they'll say. We were coming up against a deadline. I couldn't wait anymore, so I took matters into my own hands and did everything. I took matters into my own hands because I couldn't wait anymore. This morning, when we come into Genesis chapter 16, I think we're going to see a little bit about what happens when we take matters into our own hands because we couldn't wait anymore. So if you have your Bibles this morning, let's turn to Genesis 16. If you don't have one, the verses will be up on the screen as well. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now let's just pause here for a second. When we read that in 2022, that makes very little sense. It doesn't fit with our culture and what we're talking about yet. We'll talk about this in just a second because this may surprise you. Verse 4 goes like this. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. That's verse 4. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Now that may not surprise you as much, but let's keep going in this passage. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. If you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you know we're in this sermon series talking about Abram and Abraham, who becomes Abraham, and the origins of our faith in God. And we learn so much about faith by following this man, his family, and their journey. In chapter 12 of Genesis, we started by learning about Abram's call from God and how God calls him and gives him this promise that I will give you land, I will give you generations, and I will bless you and make your future great is what God promises him. That happens 11 years before where we are today in this passage. Abram was 75 years old when God calls him and gives him this promise. His wife, Sarai, was probably around 65 years old at that time. And God gives them this promise of land and generations. And then 11 years pass. In fact, there's this amazing God and man interaction that took place last week that we learned about in Genesis 15, where God makes a covenant with Abram. And he promises him again land and generations. And again, nothing has happened. It's 11 years since God has called Abram 
and still no son, still no child. Now, it can feel weird to read these passages and try to understand them with our current cultural context. But what Abram and Sarah come up with as a plan would have been pretty normal in the time that they lived. You see, having a son was critical for the future and for the security of my family and my tribe, and so we had to find a way to have a son. And so the systems of that time had built these structures that said, if you don't have a son on your own, there are other ways that we can make this happen, whether it was through polygamy or concubines. There were systems that were placed to make sure that a family could have a son. So when 11 years have passed, 11 years of not seeing God's answer have passed, it's easy to stop in the middle of this and say, look, I think it's time to take matters into our own hands. And that's what Abram and Sarai do. They decide on this plan to involve Hagar, the servant of Sarai, and to come up with this plan in order for them to have a son. I want us to recognize the grand context of where we are. It's been 11 years since God called Abram And it's going to be another 13 years before that promise is fulfilled in Isaac. How many of you are in a middle point in your situations in life right now? Somewhere between a promise made and a promise fulfilled, and you are standing in the middle wondering where God is in the middle of that. How many of you are waiting on God right now, and more importantly, in the waiting, is your faith growing or is your faith shrinking? You see, waiting and silence is a part of the life of faith. Waiting and silence is something probably most of you have experienced at some point in your walk with God. Waiting and not hearing anything. Doubting and wondering, God, are you really there? God, are you active? God, do you care about what I'm going through? God, do you really have a plan for me? Or do you need me to take the wheel and start driving? For so many of us, right now, we are sitting in a season of waiting and silence, and we're wondering between God's promise and God's fulfillment, where are we? God, what's going on? And waiting and silence can be one of the hardest things for a believer, for someone who follows God, to wonder where God is in the middle of it all. There's this quote I read from John Phillips recently, and he says like this, it's not unusual for God to be silent Indeed, he has been silent for far more than he has spoken, but his silences are as eloquent as his sayings. This morning, I want to speak to those of you who are in a season of waiting in God's waiting room right now. What is God saying to you in the middle of the silence? What is God speaking to you in the waiting that you're experiencing right now between promise made and promise fulfilled? What is he saying to you in the silence right now? Because what we so often do, and I want to be so honest about this, what I so often do is when God makes me wait or God calls me to wait, I wait like I would wait for anything else in life. How many of you sit at a red light and when it doesn't turn green, start looking around a little bit? It's like when they hand you that buzzer at the restaurant. And they say, go wait 15 to 20 minutes, we'll call you in an hour and 15 to 20 minutes, right? (laughs) It's when you go to the doctor's office and they say, wait in this waiting room, and then we'll call you to wait in a smaller room a couple minutes later. (laughs) We wait like we wait for other things. Here's what's the difference. 
in life, we wait and we wonder. We wait and wonder. I wonder when the light will turn green. I wonder when they'll buzz me to come sit at my table. I wonder when the doctor will see me. We wait and we wonder. But scripture talks about a completely different kind of waiting in silence and in, and in waiting. It's called waiting on God. It's very different from waiting and wondering. Isaiah 40 says like this, that they who wait on the Lord, now that word wait actually means those who hope in the Lord, shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Psalm 27 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take courage. Wait for the Lord. That's very different from waiting and wondering. Waiting and wondering is, I guess this light will turn green. If not, I'll start going. Waiting on God is not waiting and wondering, it's waiting and worshiping. It's living in this eager anticipation that my God who promised is a God who delivers. It's eager anticipation and hope in God is what that is. I want to ask you this morning, those of you who are in a season of waiting right now, are you waiting and wondering or are you waiting in anticipation on God? Because Abram and Sarai, they're good people. Nowhere in scripture does it say that they had bad intentions, that they were trying to do something on their own to make their own plans. It says that they most likely were trying to accomplish God's will. Abram, God said that you will have a son. He didn't say I would. So maybe let's circumvent God's plan. Let's do it a different way because it's got to happen. So let's make it happen. And I think for so many of us, this is what we do. We build these timelines. And if God doesn't operate in my timeline, then you know what? It's time for me to take the wheel. It's time for me to take control. How many of you woke up this morning and asked the question, what time is it really? That's the question that I think a lot of us need to start asking when it comes to God. There's the time that we think. It's been 11 years since the promise. But what time is it really? It's God's time that we're on. And Abram and Sarai were being taught something through this process. Wait on me. Anticipate with me. Trust me. Watch what I do in your life. You may be 75 and find this to be impossible. But guess what's going to happen when you turn 86 and when Sarah is 75? I'm going to do something in your life that no one could have done except me. This morning, some of us need to hear this because we're waiting and wondering when God's calling us to wait and worship, to wait with anticipation and eagerness that God is going to provide. Maybe that's something to do with school, something to do with a life partner, something to do with work or your ministry or calling. Wait on the Lord. And watch what he does. Does your faith grow or weaken in the waiting? Because here's what God is telling Abram and Sarah. I want your faith to get stronger in the waiting, in the silence. Because I'm still speaking in the middle of that. Now there's another thing that's also happening with Abram and Sarah. They're waiting, but they make a decision to take matters into their own hands. How many of you can relate to this? This is me. When I wait and I don't see things working on my timeline, God, it's time for you to hit the backseat because I'm about to drive. Because I will take over. I will take over in those moments. 
I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you want something so bad that you'll go around God to get it? Every time I've asked myself this, the question, I embarrassingly have to say yes. I will go around God to get what I want. And here's God just reminding Abram and Sarai through this passage and reminding us when it comes to faith, it's sometimes reminding myself that me taking matters into my own hands doesn't necessarily make things better. How many of you can testify to this, that you have done this, that I've taken matters into my own hands and ended up with a little bit of a mess on my hands? Here's what Paul tells the church of Galatians in in the book of Galatians. He says like this, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So often it's easy for us to take control and say, God, it's time for me to take over where you have been silent. Do you know that in the year 2020, there were 200 unruly passenger incidents on airlines in the United States? 200. That's where a passenger has an altercation with a staff member or with another passenger. 200 of them. Do you know how many there were in 2021? 5,981. How? So the experts say that about 4,000 something of those had to do with masks and mask rules and new rules. But there were still almost 2,000 other interactions, 10 times what there were the year before. And these experts are saying, here's what's happening. People are growing impatient with traveling by air. They're getting less for the money that they're spending, and they're getting impatient. And when they get impatient, rather than calling customer service, they say, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to start a fight on an airplane. Sometimes that's better than calling customer service, but <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where we are taking control. We're taking matters into our own hands rather than waiting because we feel like we could do it better. We try to fulfill God's plan through a work of our flesh. Now, the book of Proverbs says it like this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you see how much of that is about God and how little it is about us? And over and over again, when I wait, I am so tempted to just jump in and take matters into my own hands. We want so often, when we're waiting, for God to get behind our plans. If I'm honest, this is what I do. When I'm waiting... I start concocting my own plan to accomplish God's purpose, or at least what I think is God's purpose. And I start creating my own plans. Here's what ends up happening. I'm not looking to God to hold my hand and lead me. I'm looking for God to sign off on my plan, is what I'm doing. I'm making the plan, God just endorse my plan. Sign off and give me approval so that I can go forward in my plan. Be my good luck charm in the plan that I've created. And when we wait, we so often make the mistake of waiting and then taking matters into our own hands. God, endorse my plan. Some of you know my wife, Alin. She takes care of patients who have very serious kidney diseases. 
And every day she sees a wide variety of patients that come from all different backgrounds. And she'll regularly come home and tell me the most difficult patient to deal with is the patient who shows up with a stack of printouts from the internet. And here's why, and God bless her, she is so patient and talks to everyone, but what, she'll, what she's saying is that this patient might come into her office, and Lynn knows that this patient needs very serious inter intervention, medicine or dialysis or a new kidney or something like that. And the patient will come in and say, doctor, I know I need, I have a very serious problem, but this website said that if I take a spoon of apple cider vinegar, my kidneys will just reform. And so she'll sit there patiently explaining and explaining what's actually happening in their body. But in the end, here's what that patient is doing. Doctor, I have a plan. I need you to sign off on it. I need you to endorse what I'm going to do either way. And she can't. And so here's what we often do. We wait on God, and when waiting has taken its toll on us, when silence has become too deafening, we step in and we take matters into our own hands. Waiting and trusting God is hard. But this morning, do you believe that the wait is worth it because he's working in the waiting? Do you believe that he's saying something to you in his silence? that he's building up a trust in you toward him rather than toward yourself. And so some of you this morning, you can relate to Abram and Sarah because this is where you are, a season of waiting and a season of waiting and wondering which you are trying to turn into a season of waiting and worship. But some of you might relate to that third character in this passage. Hagar is this very interesting person in this scripture. And we're about to read what happens to her in just a second, or at least a little part of her story. But if you look at what happens to Hagar, she's the forgotten person in this. She didn't have a choice in some of this. And some of you right now are in the middle of a mess that you did not cause for yourself. Some of it was because of your decision. Some of it was because you decided to take matters into your own hands. Or some of it's because someone else took matters into their hands and affected you. And what is God saying to you this morning? Let's turn to the next couple of verses in Genesis 16, starting with verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to shore. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant, you will give birth to a son, you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. This morning, some of you may relate more to Hagar than you do with Abram and Sarai right now. 
that you are in the middle of a mess that maybe was not created by your decisions, maybe it was created by someone else, or maybe because of you taking control of your own life and you taking matters into your own hands. But in the midst of the mess, what is God saying to us? In the midst of the messes that we've created, what is God actually telling us this morning? Hagar is the forgotten person in this passage of scripture. First of all, God is revealing something about himself that he cares even for the little slave girl from Egypt. That he cares about the nobody in this story, in this context. He cares about her. He cares about the unborn child that grows within her. He cares even when we don't recognize that he cares. But here's what Hagar recognizes. There are two important phrases that we can't miss here, especially when we read it in English. The name Ishmael means God hears. And then what does Hagar call God? The God who sees. Today, if you find yourself in a mess created by yourself or created by someone else, be reminded this morning that he is the God who hears and the God who sees. And some of us need to hear this this morning because God feels distant and away from my mess right now. But he is the God who hears, the God who sees, and the God who redeems that mess. For so many of us, when we wait on God and it doesn't all go the way we thought it would go, the easy thing is to take control and put matters into my own hands. When my children were little, I could hold their hand and lead them. And then as they got a little bit older, they'd still hold my hand, but they were ultimately going faster than I was. And I know it's just a couple of months, maybe a year or two before, they're not even going to hold my hand at all. And here's the truth. This is where most of us are. We're either in a place where we're holding God's hand and he's leading us, or we're holding God's hand and we're trying to lead him, or we've let go completely. This morning, be reminded that in the midst of your mess, he is the God who sees, who hears, and the God who redeems. When I was about six years old, I got lost at a shopping mall. My parents decided to all of us to go shopping. My older brother went with my father. My younger brother went with my mother. And I was holding my father's hand, and I decided to run ahead. I let go of his hand and quite literally ran ahead, thinking they would all meet me in the entrance of the store I thought they were going to. When I turned around, I didn't see anyone. And now I was lost, and all I could do was just start crying. And I remember a woman came and finally helped me out. She finally uh, helped me find my parents. And I remember being reunited with my dad and holding his hand again and recognizing that I had let go for a short time and my life became this chaotic mess and all I needed was to hold his hand again. My dad took me home and reminded me how important it is to hold his hand, and he severely punished me for letting go, but (laughs) that's another story. But he held my hand. For so many of us right now, this is where we are. We're either holding God's hand and letting him lead us, we're holding his hand and trying to lead him, and some of us this morning, we've completely let go. Here's the reminder for all of us. When you are tempted to take matters into your own hands... Trust the hand holding yours is the hand that holds it all. Here's what we so often do. We let go because we think we can do it better. Abram and Sarai are pictures of faith. Yet even in their lives, they let go for a second because they thought they could do it better. 
But if they'd only remembered whose hand they were holding to begin with, the one that holds it all together. I want to trust him. I want to see where he's going. This morning as our worship team comes back and as we close our service, I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads this morning. The New Testament tells us that God is a God who begins a good work and completes it. And it can be hard to believe that when you're in the middle of silence and waiting. And so some of you this morning are in a period of silence and waiting. You're waiting on God or you're waiting and wondering. This morning, this altar will be open. And if you find yourself in that place right now, God, I need to hear from you. I need peace in the middle of this waiting and this silence. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't look around. Just come right down to these altars. We'll be here to pray with you. Elders and leaders will be available for you this morning. And some of you are in a place where you relate to what Hagar went through. Life is kind of messy right now. Maybe you're not a young Egyptian slave girl who's pregnant and sitting out in the middle of a desert. Life is still messy right now. And you're wondering, God, do you see me? Do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm going through? And it's been a while since you've felt that peace because you let go of his hand, maybe. If that's you this morning, don't hesitate. Come down to the altar this morning. Let's pray together about this. Let's not leave here the way we came this morning. The God who sees, the God who hears is the God who redeems, and he's available for every one of us this morning. And as our worship team plays, I invite you to come forward and pray.